Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you are in a good position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. So today we have Alex Black on the line. Alex is the President, CEO, and Director of Rio2 Limited. Rio2 is a, a listed Toronto Venture Exchange Company under the symbol R-I-O. Mr. Black, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Alex, tell us your story and background. <laughs> um, well, I guess in a nutshell, as you can tell, I'm, I, I'm, I, uh, I'm from Australia originally. Um, I've been living in Lima for nearly 18 years. Um, I've been in the industry nearly just shy of 40 years. Uh, I'm a mining engineer by background. Um, uh, have done several different things in, in the mining space. Um, I started off as a consultant, started off in the industry in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia back in the uh, early 80s. So that was pretty interesting. Um, then moved to Perth in the late 80s and uh, started up a consulting business and did quite a bit of consulting for a lot of companies in Australia and and obviously those companies that were also doing business outside of um, outside of the country. Uh, and at some point, I decided to cross the fence. Um, I was watching people and working for people who were doing what I do now, and I did a bit of research and spent a bit of time thinking about why those people, in most cases, were successful. And I worked out that really it all came down to being in the right place at the right time, doing doing the right thing. And so I decided to cross the fence. Um, I did um, uh, start up a, um, a it was private uh, resource company in Australia uh, with some assets in Ghana in West Africa back in the mid nineties. Uh, then Briex happened and there was no more money for exploration uh, companies anywhere in the world. And uh, I was asked by one of my uh, fellow um, directors and also a larger shareholder that, you know, we should look at getting a, um, an advanced project into the portfolio. And at that stage, my consulting company was um, doing some contract work in Kazakhstan. And I met somebody in Kazakhstan. I said, look, do you know of any Brownfields projects around? And, and they told me uh, there was one in Mongolia called the Buru Gold Project. And I said, Jesus, where's, where's Mongolia? <laughs> and anyway, after a little bit of research and uh, um, traveling to the country, I found out that yes, there was a project, a gold project there called Buru, and we took it on. It was in a private company called AGR Limited, which was a, a, an Australian company. And um, anyway, we worked our way into the late 90s, and uh, unfortunately, um, you know, things didn't get much better in the gold space. And in, in, in fact, the resource sector went even worse towards the late late 90s. And um, uh, the, we decided to move the project on after doing a feasibility study and, and actually Sentera bought it and um, it became a mine and Sentera mine Buru for I think about eight years or so. Um, it was a successful mine for them and um, and I think now it's in, in closure or it has been closed. 
So um, in 2000, I decided to do something different. And the only continent that I hadn't been to up until that point was South America. So I did some research about where I'd like to go to in South America and Peru came up. So packed up my bags and came over to Peru. And uh, um, same sort of thing happened. You know, I picked up some assets here in Peru. They were expiration assets. But once again, as, as you can imagine, the early 2000s, things were just starting to pick up, but very slowly uh, in the resource space. Um, and in 2004, became aware of a, an asset that belonged to Rio Tinto called Mina Husta. And um, anyway, we participated in a, in, a, in a bid to acquire Mina Husta from Rio Tinto uh, back in 2004 through a company that I controlled at that time called Chariot Resources, which was listed on the TSX. And um, we won the process. We took on Mina Husta. We did a feasibility study on the project, but once again, um, ran out of gas sort of around 2010. Um, uh, and this was after I left uh, the company, but the company was sold to a Chinese group who then on sold it to a Peruvian group called Minsur, which is a, a listed Peruvian company. And as I speak, they're currently building a one and a half billion dollar copper project at Mina Husta. Um, so the good thing is about all the things that I've been involved in, they've eventually become something whether they've been in my hands or not at the time that they have um, is, is another thing. And in 2006, when I left Chariot, I decided to um, do something different and look for opportunities. And um, it was before, just before the financial crisis. And I came across a project um, and made aware of a project called La Arena, which belonged to Iron Gold at the time. And uh, La Arena was a discovery that Cambior had made. Cambior had been acquired by Iron Gold, um, I think, in in 2006 or 2005. So it was something that uh, Iron Gold didn't want to take. So uh, they ran a process. We participated in the process as a private company. That company was Rio Alto Mining, which was private at the time. And in uh, late 2007, we were awarded um, the winner of the process to acquire La Reina. However, we um, promised to pay Iron Gold nearly $50 million for the asset. And um, at that point, um, getting to the point of putting that money together to pay Iron Gold, we entered the financial crisis. So we went back to Iron Gold, said, look, you know, nobody's going to give us money to give to you. Can we restructure this, this, this deal into an option earning where we do find money, we put money in the ground and we pay you later. And and they agreed to that, which was great. Um, and so we, we started looking for money and it was very difficult to find money, but we eventually found a listed shell called Mexican Silver Mines. We did a virtually a reverse takeover of uh, Mexican Silver Mines. Um, there we were, um, Mexican Silver Mines had $6 million in the bank. Uh, we had the option to acquire La Reina mm. and post-transaction we were a, a $12 million company. Um, we then proceeded as quickly as possible to build La Reina, um, turn it into a mine and um, we did that 
on the basis that we knew Peru, we knew that um, we knew how to approach the project. We had a, a, a Peruvian management team. So we had good intelligence on how we were going to bring that project into production as quickly as possible. And um, about um, two years later, we, we were we poured our first bar of gold in May 2011. Uh, yeah, 2011. So 2009, late 2009 was when we did the deal with Mexican silver. 2011 was when we poured gold. Um, obviously, the gold price was going up at the time. Things were going well. Um, you know, at some at at one point, our share price peaked at six dollars. Remembering we started as a twelve million dollar company with twenty cent share price so you know we did pretty well in growing value made a lot of people a lot of money um, then things came off in 2013 um, gold price started to come back again um, and um, we, we were doing well we were producing 220,000 ounces a year at, uh, at La Arena and then we had the opportunity to um, uh, acquire another company that had an asset about 30 kilometres away from La Arena called Showindo. That company was called Saladin, uh, Res uh, Saladin Resources, I think the, the correct name was at the time. And we took over Saladin, put the two companies together, built the value up of the two to about $1.2 billion, and then we were taken over by Tahoe Resources in uh, in early 2015. And now, and then, now we know the rest of the story. And then the rest of the story is rare too. Here I am. <laughs> so, but so, long, uh, history, but I think it's good for, good to be able to tell it because, you know, it, 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 it shows that, you know, everything that I've been involved with, my team's been involved with is real. Uh, we're not promoters. We're, we're, we're real people. We're real miners. And, uh, and we know what we're looking at. Yes, absolutely, and that's a good point to reinforce. Um, so now uh, you're up to something else called Rio 2. So tell us just briefly, because we're going to talk about it a little bit more later. Tell us about Rio 2. Yeah, Rio 2, uh, from the outset, it was all about the fact that, um, you know, I wasn't ready to really retire from, from what I was doing with Rio Alto. So uh, it was a matter of setting up Rio 2, um, took over a, a listed shell called Prospector Resources, uh, populated it with some money. Our management put in a quite a, a slug of it, um, but we raised about $9 million Canadian um, and started to look around for projects. And the idea uh, and, and the objective of Rio2 is to become a, a, a multi-asset precious metals company uh, focused essentially in the Americas, um, and that's what, where we've been looking so far for for opportunities. Okay, and um, <clears throat> well, you're certainly on your way to doing that with, with uh, a project pipeline. You've already got that starting to, uh, to roll out, so very, very interesting there. So um, give, us, give us just a little bit more on Rio 2. Give us where the, for folks who don't know, give us where the project is uh, and give us just a little bit of info, and then we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later. Okay, with Rio 2, once we got off the ground uh, and, we, and we became public, um, we probably looked at about 60 or so projects slash um, junior companies slash um, 
projects that majors wanted to um, sell uh, and got involved in processes, etc. And um, through that process, we came up, uh, we, we came across a, a company called Atacama Pacific, which um, had and, and discovered the Cerro Maracunga Gold Project in Chile, in the Atacama region of Chile. Um, and it was a discovery they made in 2010. Um, and so we came across Atacama Pacific. And, and one, of the, one of the challenges of doing M&A in the mining space is finding somebody that wants to dance with you, right? So there's lots of companies, assets, et cetera, out there that you think might make sense to be a part of what we're doing. But typically, you know, you've got to find somebody that is willing to dance on the other side. And most, or just, a, you know, 90% of mining deals all comes down to social issues, which is, you know, what what is everybody getting at the end of the day from a personal perspective after the, um, the transaction is done? That's right. sort of natural. It's, it's a little sad because, you know, it does blow up things that, that should happen, don't happen because, because of the social issues. Um, but in our case, anyway, we did this deal with Atacom Pacific. Um, I think we closed the transaction where we uh, put the two companies together back in uh, July of this year. And, um, and Sarah Maracunga, we decided to rename Phoenix, the Phoenix Gold Project. The reason for that was that the word Maracunga is used in several um, uh, iterations of um, uh, company names or project names in that region. So we wanted to just stay away from the Maracunga name. So we we called the project Phoenix and um, and and that's what we talk about. Now Phoenix, um, the Atacama Pacific guys discovered it in 2010, did three drill campaigns between 2010 and 2013, delineated in resources um, uh, about five and a half million ounces of gold in resources. Uh, did a pre-feasibility study in 2014 and defined about 3.7 million ounces in reserves, according to the um, metrics of the pre-feasibility study. And um, after our validation of the asset, we, we thought that was, you know, the asset's real, it's doable, it has a lot of positive characteristics, has a lot of similar characteristics to La Reina, the project that we built in Peru. And so, you know, it was an easy decision for us to say, okay, let's 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 acquire the company uh, for the asset and and let's get into it. Right. Ah, very well. I, I appreciate the uh, <clears throat> the overview of what's going on there. So, so moving on, we'll, we'll come back to Rio too. So Alex, what is wrong with the mining business these days? <laughs> um, a lot of people have lost patience and faith in, in, in the mining space. The resources sector in general, um, particular emphasis, and obviously something I know best is the gold sector uh, of the resource um, uh, industry. Um, you know, a lot of things have gone wrong in 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 the in the in the gold sector. 
um, values being destroyed in a lot of cases, um, bad management has been in place in a lot of cases, um, bad promotion, you know, things that are unfortunate but have spread through to the rest of the, the sector. And so um, that accompanied by what I would call a flat, a flattish gold price, because if you look at the gold price, and I've got a chart on my screen right now, if you look at the gold price between, um, um, you know, 2013 and now, it's relatively flat, around $1,200, right? So it's not as though we've been through massive gyrations over the last five years. Uh, the price has been relatively stable. But during that time, um, all the excesses of the previous years have come to roost and, and a lot of companies are carrying huge amounts of debt. Um, management teams are paying themselves a lot of money, uh, a lot of GNA. People don't like that. Investors don't like that, particularly if they're underperforming. Um, companies are virtually breaking even at the current gold price, which which is a bit interesting because, you know, in our case, when we had La Arena, which the average grade of La Arena is less than 0.4 grams, overall um, we made good money at $1,200 so um, obviously there are assets in production now that probably shouldn't be in production um, the, these some of these are controlled by bigger company you know some of the bigger companies um, right. so all that put together um, has just worn thin on investors in the space and what's really shocking to me is you know, and I've been in this business for for nearly forty years, but also um, involved in the Canadian uh, publicly listed space since since uh, two thousand and two when I got Chariot Resources off the ground. Um, the whole investment sector has changed, and in a lot of cases, funds have just disappeared, and so the obvious usual places of going to for money are gone so so now it's quite sobering because now i'm involved with a junior company that doesn't have any cash flow and right you you wonder where where the hell money any more money is going to come from and it's it's a very very difficult situation and the whole industry faces it so the good thing is you know the good thing for me and my way of thinking is that if this continues, which I, I, I kind of think it will for 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 at least a, a little while, and I, I'm sort of guessing sort of well into 2019, that hopefully there'll be a bit of a clean out and consolidation of, of, of smaller companies. That's really what needs to happen. And um, let's see if that happens. Interesting. So... <clears throat> So you're an Australian citizen. Why why is it that Australia, if you look at some of the charts of some of the, the juniors, mid-tiers, and majors in Australia, they're they're severely outperforming Canadian, North American, these other these other listed these other equities in the space. What do you think that's attributable to? Oh uh, well, you know the Australian guys are, are doing well because they're in a um, you know they're they're enjoying the differential of currency um, between the Australian dollar and U.S. dollar. Um, Australia has become, you know, cost competitive over time because of, you know, the constraints of the industry. So 
I, I think it's Australians are people that embrace technology, embrace challenge, um, and just get on with it, right? Uh, when I came to Peru and did La Reina, I remember people asked me, so how many mines you built in Peru? And I said, none. And then they said, well, how many mines have you built in your life? I said, none. I've been involved in a number of mines, but I've never built one. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to build one here either. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a team together and they're going to build the mine. I'm like the coach of the football team. You know, I provide the, the, the uniforms. I provide the ball, the boots. And I say, okay, guys, run out on the pitch and go kick goals, right? But I'm not the one who builds mines. So I think right. Australians uh, um, fit in wherever they go, whether it's Africa, whether it's South America, whether it's... Um, you know, um, other places around the world, and and we sort of try to fit in, and and we we meld in with culture of the country that we're doing business with in, and the people, and we, you know, we we just get on with things, right? We get on with the job. Right. Well, I've got to I've got to because you said that I've I've got to I've got to step out and mention that. You know whether it's whether it's John Borjoff at Paladin going out to places in Africa that have never mined and and shipped a can of uranium uh, yellow cake uh, out of the country before. Um, you you certainly reinforce that fact that Australians can certainly be uh, very good folks to have in this business and uh, and especially and, and not not just in the mining business but also in in, in advancing these other economies and advancing jobs and local community advancement and so forth so it's it's interesting you say that um yeah so what what would you have to say for so for majors mid-tiers and junior companies out there that are trying to form integrity and credibility what what suggestions at this point do you have for them um you know it's it it's it's all about executing and delivering um I, I I I guess it's 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 all about getting your hands on something, you know, whether it's an exploration project, if you're an explorationist, if you're a mine builder, trying to find a project you can build, uh, if you're an operator, try and find a project you can operate, and and just do you the best you can in those circumstances with the resources you've got available to you. Um, you know, put your head down. Um, you know, don't get greedy. I think this industry, certainly in the past, has been full of lots of greed. Um, you know, and, and when I say that, you know, you got to you got to try and get to a position where you own more of the company than and and the value of that ownership equates to many more times than the salary that you're pulling. Um, and I think that goes from ages all the way through. And I think there's been some recent editorials on that. Um, about um, CEO ownership uh, and management ownership of, of, of public companies. So, you know, you, you just have to get on with it, you know, and I, and I find that very frustrating because, you know, we're, we're still on the lookout for opportunities. We're looking for, because um, uh, our Phoenix project is has a gestation period of about three years before we get to the construction phase, uh, decision to construct. Um, so what I'm trying to do uh, with my team is is we're looking for other opportunities, near-term production, et cetera, and it's really hard. 
It's really hard to find. Um, right. And that's the other thing that's happened in this industry with the lack of sort of funding that's been around for the last few years, particularly since the the drop off of gold from from where it was at eighteen hundred to to twelve hundred, um, a lack of exploration. So with the lack of exploration comes a lack of new projects, comes a lack of uh, capability to to find them, and then not only and then if you are lucky to find them, you've got to find the capital to be able to develop them, right? So it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges out there. Right, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see with at these prices and with the sentiment levels that we have right now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what what deals you can find in the meantime. Um, so, uh, Alex, last we checked, um, and I I don't know if we're exactly up to date, but you haven't taken a, a materials salary from the company. So, what is your view on industry compensation and those who enjoy mining shareholders instead of the dirt? Yeah, look, I, look, it's it's all going to be commensurate with what the company's doing. I mean, if the company's making you know good money, um, obviously, um, as a as part of a management team, you can earn a salary, you can get paid bonuses, you can get paid in um, in, in in stock, whether it's options or RSUs or whatever it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's all about just doing everything within within the context of what your company's doing. Uh, and I think that's where things have got out of kilter because, you know, they're, particularly with the, the bigger guys, is that there's a lot of rumblings about the size of the, the GNA and salary packages that these guys have in, in respect to the performance of their companies. So um, all I can say is, you know, you just, you just got to do it within the capacity of what your company's doing. And if you do that, then not too many people are going to worry about it. But if you, if you, if you put your hands deep into the, into the, into the treasury of the, of the company, when it's not doing that well, then, you know, investors get uh, pretty, pretty wary of what, uh, what sort of company that might be. Sure. And, and we've seen a lot of that recently where, you know, <laughs> you have companies that are listed and they have projects that uh, require significantly higher prices uh, to even be able to become reasonable. And yet they're nothing but a consumer of capital. And when a CEO or an executive of a company at the, at the higher level is, is taking in, raking in a, a $700,000 salary and there's no, there's no cash flow whatsoever, it's just laughable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and, so, uh, you know, and really at the end of the day, look, we're, we're, we're all investors in, in, in a certain way. You obviously don't, you should choose not to put your money into those sorts of uh, companies. I mean, Agreed. you know, when I, when I see companies and, you know, you see recommendations to buy shares of companies and a lot of those recommendations are based on the share price. So, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about specifics here, but, you know, company A may have had a $15 share price, it's now down at $5. And the recommendation from Alice on the street are, you know, you should buy this stock because it's rock bottom and all that. But the reason it's probably there is because of bad management. And so for me, when you invest in a company, you're not buying the shares to go from, in my opinion, from five to $15. What you're doing is you're putting that money in and giving it to that management team and 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 trusting that management team 
to take that share price from five to fifteen dollars, right? Right. It's they are the one. They are the ones going to steer that company. So if a company's got a bad management team running it, stay away. You know, if people are taking money over and above the cap, you know, the capacity of the company, stay away. And even if the the share price of that company is rock bottom, stay away from it. There's plenty of other good things that you can invest in, um, apart from those those companies just because of the share price, right? Because at the end of the day, once again, my opinion is you put a dollar into an investment, you're backing management. And um, and you better be sure that you are confident that management team is doing the right thing uh, for all shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly at Rio too, it does align uh, quite well with what, the stage of the company versus what you yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're just... Yeah, and we're just starting, right? So you know, we really, we've really got to hit our mark and 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 move things along with 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 Phoenix and anything else that we do. So you know, we, I mean, yeah, we're we're at the we're at the way way at the junior end of the the spectrum, but certainly, what you're talking about, I, I think, goes more along to the more development companies slash producing companies, small producers. Uh, to the big bigger guys, um, you know, you need to you need to be careful um, and watch what what happens to Treasury. That's it. Right, right. Because at the end of the day, you know, some of these bad companies, bad management teams, the the, the investors who give them money are, are just more or less just supporting their lifestyle. Exactly. Uh, so so look out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so. Uh, let's see. What what do we have here? Uh, another another thought that came to my head here. So you, you've you've spent a, a good amount of time in in Chile and Peru. You've had to deal with various agencies and political figures. What is your take on the newly elected governor in Puno region, Peru? Well, um, he, let's see, because he just got in. Um, that's the first thing. Um, you know, politics here in Peru are interesting. Um, we had a big scare, um, the president before last or two presidents ago, um, in, um, Oyanta Humala becoming president of this country. Um, I can't remember the year, but, um, anyway, um, 213 or something like that. Um, and, um, you know, he, he campaigned on a leftist platform and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, he, he, he governs from the center. And, you know, he didn't do anything radical in Peru. There were corruption and other things going on, but that's something that Peru is dealing with right now and trying to clean up. But, um, you know, so so I think the jury's still out on that guy in, um, who's, who's, who's been elected in Puno. Um, you know, I, I, maybe I'm biased and I've been here 18 years and Peru's been through some pre pretty um, controversial times during during the last um, 15 of that you know since Alberto Fujimori um, um, ended his presidency back in the early 2000s um, you know I still think that Peru is a is probably one of the better countries in in, in South America or Latin America to do to do business in the mining space I think um, you know the um, the opportunity to 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 mine here is definitely positive. Um, the system of um, approvals 
you know, the approval process that you have to go through to build a mine, um, the, the, the processes that are there to, to monitor mining, et cetera, are all pretty transparent, black and white, so they all work. Uh, the legal system here works pretty well. Um, so, you know, Peru's a great place. Chile's obviously a very mature country, um, been, um, been in, uh, the, the number one copper producer of, uh, in the world. Um, you know, there it's a little bit, the dynamic's a little bit different because it's more prescriptive. Um, the, the approval process, the EIA slash permitting process, which the government's trying to um, uh, improve on the bureaucratic processes involved. Um, the Pinera government is trying to uh, instigate some, some improvements, which hopefully might be in place next year. So, um, but, but similar, similar, similar sorts of um, uh, um, laws and, uh, and, uh, and, and, um, and guidelines to, to building mines. So, no, you know, Peru and Chile are great. Um, the interesting thing with our Phoenix project, when we build it, when we turn it into a mine, it'll be the only gold oxide heap leach project in Chile. <laughs> which blows me away because um, here in Peru, there are a few. Uh, in Chile, there are none, uh, and we, we will have the first one um, because the country's been dominated by copper and, and continues to be dominated by copper. Lithium, to a certain extent now, that lithium's been running hot, et cetera. So, and right, all. right, no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the project is very clean, and uh, so it'll be... Uh, be interesting and then also I, I i noticed you you said it's a it's really a one question not an if question so that that is reinforcing um so so aside from aside from these two jurisdictions that we know about that you guys have as you know assets and you also have some concessions in nicaragua what's your plan there and are you of the opinion that the political trials there will be resolved soon yeah we, we've been in nicaragua um over the last couple of years very on a limited basis we have one person there um a, a geologist his name's luke english um he's been in the country for many years um we've just looked around we've got an application in place with the government for ten thousand hectares of ground in some areas that we think are, are pretty interesting we've been talking to people doing business in nicaragua seeing if there's any anything we can do together um, but, you know, Nicaragua up until the recent civil unrest really was probably the shining light in Central America as far as we were concerned from a mining perspective. If you look at the countries that surround it, Guatemala, pretty tough, uh, and I, I know because of the Tajo um, experience, um, you know, Costa Rica is closed for mining, Panama, tough, even though you've got Corporate of Panama being built by, um, by um, First Quantum. Um, you know, there's a moratorium against um, awarding uh, mining concessions in the country has been in place for a few years now. Um, uh, you know, so Nicaragua stood out as, as being a, a good place, mining friendly. B2 have been very successful in Nicaragua. In fact, they started their business uh, in Nicaragua. Um, that, that was their first projects that they put together in their company. 
So, you know, we like Nicaragua. Now, the civil unrest, hey, you know, I mean, it's not good. Um, we don't like what we've been hearing, uh, but it is Latin America. And, um, you know, these things happen. Um, I think it'll there will be some sort of resolution over time. How long, I'm not sure, but it's, you know, um, definitely going to be resolved. I think the country is 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 not Venezuela, is is not, uh, uh, cr you know, crazy from that perspective. So I'm hopeful that it does turn around, and when it does, um, we want to be there. And it's like, like the old adage of, you know, buying low and selling high. Well, you want to be in a country that other people don't want to be in um, to, to take advantage of the opportunities um, if you want to be successful. So, yeah. Right. I mean, if I, was, no, if, I was doing, if I was doing business in Africa, the place I'd like to be right now is Zimbabwe probably because, you know, Zimbabwe has been locked up for so long during the Mugabe time. Now it's, it's sort of opening up and, and, and probably that's a good place to be, even though it, it still hasn't sorted itself out completely. But um, Zimbabwe is a very, very prospective uh, country in Africa from a mining perspective. And that's probably, you know, a very similar analogy to, to, to Nicaragua. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly cheap and hated. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not going to not going to challenge you on the Africa stuff. I, I, I tend to lean towards more of a, a Namibia or a Botswana. But and, and South Africa is also heading in that direction to where there might be opportunity in the future and yeah. maybe maybe the DRC as well. So back to Nicaragua, um, you know, I've, I've been there for some time, uh, haven't been there for four years in the country. And, and, the, and the situation I, I we we all hope uh gets resolved soon and, and in a good manner. And, and, uh, and it is, it is sad what's going on there, but, uh, hopefully things will improve and, and people will kind of figure it out. And, and hopefully there's not a playbook in, in line for a, a Venezuela or, a, or, you know, another, another one of those types. Um, but certainly right now there, there's a, there's a heavy discount, uh, you know, Alex in real estate, for example, I just, just recently noticed a little bit about it. Real estate's got about a 50% haircut. Um, so it's, it's it, it is uh, it kind of hated at this point illiquid but uh, there are some interesting deals and and I am gold is there uh, which you, you are plenty familiar with uh, B2 yeah. is of course there and they've continued to operate with little disruption uh, from what I've seen and uh, you know you got you got caliber caliber doing some stuff up there in the northern part of the country Terra uh, gold so there with caliber right Sintera, right you know, so. so yeah I mean look yeah. it's it, it's um it's it's perspective and um up until recently it was wide open for business so um i think it will revert back to that yeah i think so and and the hondurases and the guatemalas and the el salvadors and and that 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 type is probably not uh, too interesting at this point um but uh costa rica is a, a joke as you know and uh you know panama probably shut down at this point but you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the project there. Um, we we know a, a know an excavator operator that's that's at the project. Um, so it's interesting some of the photos and some of the stuff he shared. Um, so anyway, so moving on, uh, tell us about the Rio Two shareholder roster. How much do you own, and and what key backers do you have on the ship? Um, well, it's still early days, um, but. Uh, um, 
ourselves management, um, the two largest shareholders on the board are myself and Albrecht Schneider. Albrecht was the founder of Atacama Pacific. So collectively, the board and management team have about 30% of the company. Uh, I own about just under 15% of the company today. Um, um, you know, outside of that, um, we've got an interesting shareholder registry because when 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 we came across Atacama Pacific, their biggest shareholder at the time was uh, Van Eck, um, the the ETF, and um, and Van Eck uh, decided to support this transaction and decided to also participate in our last financing. And I think up until recently, um, they um, were at a position of about 13.13% of the company. Um, then we have a smattering of institutional investors um, underneath that, but just a handful, probably half a dozen. Um, and, and then we have some pretty close associates that have got probably another 10 or 15% of the company. So it's fairly tight, although you wouldn't know it when you look at our share price. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's one thing that I always say, you can't control what's going on. But for whatever reason, we've got some um, loose stock that's been coming into the market since we completed this transaction. I've got no idea where that's coming from. But anyway, um, it is what it is. and. Um, um, you know, we just got to perform, keep going, do what we say we're going to do, and um, and the rest will will fall into place. Absolutely, and you know, the good thing is, is I think I think here we got some strong hands, and, and some of our readers and listeners are pretty strong hands, and so they're, you know, we we hadn't we hadn't we watched the company for some time and watched it where it was and watched it come down, watched it come down, watched it come down, and we finally said, you know what, this is this is where we better pull the trigger, and so a couple of months ago we we did recommend the company, so. It'll be interesting to see what happens, and uh, you know, if there's some weak hands out there willing to uh, part with their shares, uh, I think there's some picker uppers on the other side. Um, exactly, but- and, and you know, that's the thing about you know, I mean, every, everybody. Uh, I hate it when I hear it, but everybody gets up at these conferences. You know, the the CEOs that, that do the presentations say, "Oh, we're significantly undervalued." Well, the market's the market, you know, and um, I don't. I, <laughs> I hate that comment because at the end of the day, the market will value you the way the market sees you. And so all, all you can do is make sure you don't make mistakes, make sure you deliver what you say you're going to deliver and, and the rest will work its way out. That's my, that's oh, my opinion. No, absolutely. No, it's, and that's, that's correct. Uh, you know, uh, Referencing back to Nicaragua, the, the air gap from $800,000 piece of real estate to 220000 that's the type of air gap we're talking about. So, And quite honestly, if you look at the shares of a, a number of these companies listed on the TSX and TSXV, you'll, you'll, you'll see some, some similar playouts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, Alex, moving on, on to another subject. Uh, outside of Rio, too, give us a name or two of a junior that you actually like and have respect for. Wow. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, 
Wow. You know, I'm 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 heavily, invested, I'm I'm heavily invested in this in in the gold space, but in in us, that's what I'm invested yeah. in is us. Right. And the reason I do that is because um, I I I'm backing us, right? And and there's so few management teams out there that I could honestly feel that I'd feel comfortable backing. So I, I I've I've steered away from having a broad portfolio of, of, of investments. But no, there are good people out there. I mean, you know, running running junior companies, there's some good junior companies doing things, but can I pick one? Probably not. I mean, you know, you know, you guys are looking at it more from that perspective. Um, guys like Mark Turner at uh, IKN, um, you know, looking at things and, and pontificating on, on what they see in management teams, et cetera. But I... I, I can't really put my finger on one right now that I can say, well, that's a great team, but because there are there are a few out there, um, they're not all they're not all bad in in respect to what I was saying before. But um, uh, I just I just you got me there. <laughs> right. No. And no. And they're they're not all created equal. And uh, and and certainly certainly Mark does a nice job of uh, making sure that. Uh, people are in line and you know and we've 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 of course uh you know and, and we've we've had a tough time too at, at different times from 2015 till now you know everybody gets gamed in the market at some point and, and we're in the process uh, of cleaning up some of ours think, as well yeah and, I, think, and, uh, I think what i'd like to probably say is people like yourself mark turner brent cook joe mazumda who works with brent cook i mean that's that's who your listeners should be listening to. Um, they they have a pretty broad understanding of what's going on in the market. They generally tend to direct people in the right direction from the point of view of not only assets but also management. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm probably the last one because you know, you know, Rio Two is a is a, is a mind building company. That's what's what we intend to be, and um, and so. A lot of a lot of things that are going on right now are mainly in the exploration space, and uh, it's not not really my game. Exploration. Sure. No, absolutely, and it's it's interesting uh, interesting the the uh, the different situations that exist, and and I'll and I'll save my comments on it because there's you know our our readers and listeners already know our positions and know stuff that we've talked about in an extra uh, ordinary fashion. Uh, in, including Rio Two uh, as of late. So, uh, Alex, moving on to a different subject. So, you watch the big market. Where are we today, in your view? And are we at the end of this big market cycle? Well, you know, as you know, I'm on Twitter, um, and I pontificate not about Rio Two, but about things in general. Um, uh, you know, it's where we are in in gold, precious metals. Um, really is tied to the Fed and their actions and also the strength of the US dollar. Um, you know, I all this flip-flopping that's going on, you know, everything's pretty volatile, as you, as you know. Trump tweets something one day and the market's up and then it's down and then it's sideways and then it's, you know, it's all over the place. And the dollar's, the dollar's relatively strong. I, I just think the Fed is hell-bent on what they call normalization of interest rates. I just think they have this thing in their mind that the interest rates were at zero for too long and they need to be probably somewhere in the order of two to three 
percent, and and they're going to be hell bent on taking it there. So I think there's another interest rate rise in December, as everybody else I think predicts. Some people think it's going to slow down next year. I think they'll they'll. I'm I'm reverting to what they indicated a few months ago that they'll do probably another three next year, and then you know we'll see what happens, right? But right. obviously. You know, the other thing that's going on in the background and the elephant in the room is the debt. You know, the debt's ticking up. It's it's just on, just, it's probably a month or two away from hitting 22 bill, a trillion. Um, so to me, you know, that recipe of high interest rates, huge debt, um, um, you know, um, equity markets, the general equity markets that have just been frothy and at, at all-time highs, you know, something's going to give um, and it's not going to be pretty whatever happens. Uh, it should be positive for precious metals. Um, we all think that. But I think we still got a bit of sideways movement. And once again, remember what I said at the beginning, you know, the, the gold price since 2013 has, has tracked pretty well around the $1,200 mark. So it's not bad, you know. When right. people, you know, I've been watching this sector, you know, particularly lithium, cobalt, you know, all vanadium and all that and, and the highs, the lows and the cryptos and the marijuanas and everything goes through these flame outs and, you know, hot periods and, you know, it's like a like like the biggest roller coaster you've ever seen. Well, the good thing about gold, it doesn't do that. You know, gold to me is a currency that's just been tracking at that 1,200 mark and when something happens to the lead currency, which is the US dollar, which we all think will be to the negative, then you'll start to see gold track up. Now, you know, where's it going to go? Who knows? I mean, track up might be to 1,400 and find a new base there. i, I got no, no idea because I'm not a – I don't have a crystal ball. But um, – I just think that, um, you know, we're in a good spot in precious metals and we just got to hold our ground and we'll see our time in the sun again. Um, and hopefully the next time round is that there's some positive performances that don't scare investors away. Right. Again. No, I think it's, yeah, and I, I think it's coming. Um, I think it'll be there. and. And if I managed to pick up some additional ounces by the end of the year of gold, uh, that would be that would be helpful for anybody's uh, you know portfolio at this point, uh, given what's coming down the pipe. And it's it's difficult to to uh, manage these types of things, especially from a from a newsletter newsletter type business. It's very difficult to to consider where we're at, and and we're trying to do a, a good job of cleaning up our portfolios and slowing down, going more to cash and, and going more to precious metals and getting prepared for uh, what's going to come. And, and as well as is putting on some nice long-term, you know, shorts on some of these stocks that are just going to get wasted when it does come down. So on that subject, just kind of spilling in a little bit back to natural resources. So, so folks often consider collateral damage from the big market decline. So how do you think natural resource equities will kind of fare this time? Um when when uh, when there's a just just frame that again uh, i mean when there's a, a market correction or with all these right. dynamics that are going on with the dollar and 
and the Fed and all yeah. that sort of thing. So, so right. for example, Alex, so like if you uh, if you look at what happened in 2000 with the the, the uh, precious natural resource sector, more or less. 2000, 2001, how that reacted as the market, as the big market came down and then and then compare that to 2008, it was completely different. And so my my thoughts are there's kind of two sides is, is when equities, when equities get washed out, every equity gets washed out for a time. But wow. then the argument is in 2000, 2001, uh, some of these equities, uh, specifically in natural resources, actually did not decline very much at all. Yeah, I agree with you. There's typically a, a decline in all equities, which includes um, resource stocks. But then there's a flight to hard assets, right? Once once people um, leave paper investments, a la shares, uh, they tend to, to to fly into hard assets, which is where you see commodities start to 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 be an attractive uh, destination for for investment. And then the flow on from that is to companies that produce or in the commodities game, um, explore or produce commodities. So yeah, you see you see a, a depression in, in, in resource stocks, but resource stocks tend to be the first out, um, the first to rise. And um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I see that happening. The issue, you know, that we've had for the last, I don't know, ten years or more. Once again, I'm not a I'm not a financial whiz, but um, you know, since ETFs have been in place, that's been a bit of an issue because obviously, um, when we've had these turnarounds in commodities, uh, people can flock to either the the metal itself and 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 buy the metal, or it can buy an ETF, right, which is a basket. Uh, of right. of companies and 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 products and and whatever, so then it takes away the 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 attraction for people to to come come in and invest in individual companies, right? So right. that's the challenge the industry has faced, you know, over the last few years and and will continue to face going forward because that's probably where you see the first flight of money will come into the metal and then also into ETFs before it starts to flow into into individual mining stocks. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how those ETFs hold up when things really hit the fan, if you if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and that's, that's so, a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Right. So so uh, moving on to another subject. So you've probably noticed that we do a little bit of recently for the last uh, year and a half, two years or so, we've done a bit of work on the situation related to uranium supply. What's your view on this mining business, and do you believe nu the nuclear power industry has a role to play going forward on a global basis? Uh, look, you know, I'm not a big fan. Uh, the reason is because, um, uh, you know, the gestation period for a nuclear power plant is like something like 10 years or so, and the cost of building one is billions of dollars, right? Several billions of dollars. So. It's not something. It's not something you can turn on quickly, and so, you know, you have all this talk about alternative energy. Um, uh, you know, we have all this battery technology and stuff for for powering cars and other things. But at the end of the end of the day, you got to plug that battery into the wall, and on the other side of the wall is either a coal-fired power station or a, you know, hydro scheme or something that's 
providing the electricity, right? Now, for that to be all, all those options to be replaced by by nuclear, it's going to take a long time, you know, irrespective of the will to do so. So, I just see the market as as, as relatively small. I mean, we saw that spurred up in uranium prices, what, uh, ten years or eight years ago, um, and um, you know, it was what it was. You know, it's the same as what happened with cobalt. It's the same was sort of what's happened with lithium. Um, you have these sort of times when people just think, no, nope, everybody's going to use this material, boom, they're in the product and it, it, it skyrockets and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, there's all this production that's found somewhere in China or in, in some some corner of the earth that, is going to just uh, cater for the demands of, of, of what's required. So it's just too volatile for me. I mean, I, I just, I just don't, I don't follow the space that well. And and because of the volatility, once again, you don't see that volatility in gold. Gold is relatively right. stable because it behaves like a currency. Right. No, I'll give you a pass, man, because I'm asking. I'm asking outside your realm, so to speak, on it. I, yeah. For for us, we uh, we have a view of. <clears throat> there's clearly at this point with with the production cuts, and the price the price of the mineral, that there is no doubt that that there is a supply demand issue going forward. Now in the United States, absolutely, it's highly costly and it's a long term process. Uh, in places like China, India, you know, Saudi Arabia, and places that Russia is pumping the market uh, in terms of nuclear, and with with countries like Japan uh, starting to re restart the reactors because they're an island nation that does not have many other alternatives, and with their with their situation regarding debt uh, is a whole nother whole nother ball game. And, and recently, for us, we've seen seen the French, uh, which are heavy nuclear. Uh, delay from 2025 uh, weaning themselves off nuclear to 2035. Um, I see uh, that going forward, depending on seeing what happens with these small modular reactors and the other technology that's being deployed by Rolls-Royce and New Scale Power, I, I see that there is certainly a supply-demand problem, and I do believe that nuclear has has its place because you can't you can't turn off this infrastructure and it's not going to happen anytime soon it doesn't matter if it's in the US or anywhere else this stuff cannot be turned off anytime soon because it provides a baseload power that nothing else has been able to match and so for us i i see in the next 5 10 years i, I do see a supply demand problem i see a price rise and i do see an equity an equity rise as well uh now post post uh this cycle i i have no idea um, I, I do believe that there is some some issues, and depending on what happens with the technology and what other advancements uh, happen in the battery space, uh, you know, post 2035, uh, who knows what's going to happen. But it is it is interesting what has happened to the supply cuts and the different fundamentals that have just kind of occurred, starting really, quite honestly, 2017 onward, have, have really uh, kind of put us put us in a place where we. We like it, and as you know, these things are highly cyclical, um, just just like your other your other stuff, whether it's you know talking about lithium or cobalt or or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, my, my brief time outside of the gold space has been in copper, which which I talked about, um, uh, Chariot Resources and the Mina Husta project here in Peru, 
And um, I remember back in 2000 and, um, 2004, 2005, when we bought the asset, um, there were all these analysts making these predictions about the you know, copper demand and you know, um, supply demand curves and all that sort of thing. And, um, sure. you know, I watched all that. None of them were right. <laughs> right. So, 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 you know, that's the, that's the thing with commodities. Um, you, 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 it's, it's, to me, it's, it's pretty hard to, to, to predict. The good thing about, the thing I like about gold is that if you find a good gold project, something that's easy to get going, good infrastructure, simple metallurgy, metallurgy for example, you can build it for relatively cheap. And, and that's the benefit of the gold business is it's a simple business. Copper is more difficult. If you look at the, you know, the capex is involved in turning on a copper project, they're typically, you know, in the hundreds of millions plus. Um, but, you know, if we look back at our track record with La Reina, we built the starter project, La Reina, 50 million bucks, right? Now, you can't do that in most other commodities. So in, in gold, I think, and, and the, you know, you have to have things working in your favour, like metallurgy, um, you know, infrastructure, um, easy you need cost. Yeah, so so you need <laughs> that, but, but you can do it. You can do it, and uh, it's right. kind of neat. It's kind of neat because then, if you can get into production, there are some good profits to be made if you can um, uh, operate at a, at a at a at a reasonable cost of production. Absolutely. No, and I and I think I think that you know from what I've seen you guys are working that direction to where uh, you'll have that exact scenario that you you mentioned there. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens um, going forward. So besides Rio two, um, the minerals that Rio two has, which uh, on your project is pretty clean. So what what other is there any other minerals that you see that actually really have fundamentals? going forward over the next five years? I mean, the, the lithiums, the cobalts, I mean, this this stuff is pumped. Do you, do you really see this stuff holding up? No, I don't because, you know, why? Because technology changes. I mean, the thing that I've, I was um, uh, made aware of recently just through doing research was this product called graphene. And graphene is, a, is, a, is like a... Um, a graphite type pro product and it can be made out right. of just about anything it's not a it's not a rare material but graphene is starting to be looked at from a battery technology perspective and it's supposed to be um, or supposed to have better um, and more efficient um, ways of storing energy than, than lithium has um, it's also used in uh, water filtration and other things. So, I mean, what, what I see in that sector is just changing of technology and substitution. So right now, lithium's hot, you know, lithium batteries, that's what it is. But, you know, somebody along the way is going to come up with something cheaper and, and lighter and, and lithium is going to fall to the wayside. It's the same with cobalt. It's the same, same I think, with all, all those sorts of, um, metals can be substituted, replaced, or, or, or whatever. A lot of people will argue that's that's not possible, but I think that's what technology is all about. So the good thing about yes. again, I'm going to gravitate back to precious metals. You can't substitute gold. Gold is gold. 
and um, it has a place and and really it's a once again I, I believe it's a it's a form of currency um, so you don't see these same fluctuations that you see in the um, in, in those hot metals um, so right. so I, I, I don't see it going on forever no and mainly because of technology I think these things will be substituted you know People have been trying to find substitutes for copper for a long time and still haven't been very successful in doing that. But if that ever happens, then you know, um, copper will fall to 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 the wayside as well because it can be substituted. So, right. um, <clears throat> you know, so well, that's, you know, that's they, you know, they say I've got with those with those metals or products. Well, Alex, you know, you know, they say that, you know, you're able to fire up a nice supercomputer in Iceland or, or somewhere cold and, and turn out, turn out Bitcoin. That's the equivalent of gold. So it'll be, an, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, you see how long that lasts. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, we, we actually did have, uh, for a time, we actually had in the portfolio, a, a, a graphene or a high quality graphite company. Uh, that we actually made some money on. I, I'm not sure how it's gonna how it's it hasn't been doing too well recently, but we did make a nice return on it. But uh, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting to see how this yeah. how these technologies will play out. And for the for the folks who are heavy duty on you know the the vanadiums and the and the and the lithiums etc. You, you better lock you better get something going now. You better lock in some discounts. You better lock in some contracts. You better get the prices locked in because I I just I don't see it lasting. I, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough to know the last vanadium boom, which happened while I was living in Australia. And um, it was, I think it was around, uh, when was it? The, the mid-90s or so. And it was when cell phones, it was all based around cell phones. Oh, okay, we've got, there's going to be gazillion cell phones around the world and they're all going to use vanadium. So vanadium is now the thing. And there were all these projects built, and it was, there was um, a couple in Australia built, and, and uh, but within two or three years, boom, it all was over. All right? right, cell phones still yeah. were being produced, but this whole vanadium boom of how vanadium was going to be used for all these cell phones. So now I'm hearing, oh, vanadium, but now it's it's you know, well, vanadium is is also used in steel making, so which is more general than than EVs and stuff like that, but. Um, you know, to me, it's just this. There's this, these surges. It's like it's like a, a tidal wave comes and it goes. Right. No, absolutely. And, and and you know, the interesting thing is too is most of these most of this technology. There's you know, there's iPhones and your cars and these different products, batteries and and just just random stuff that, that you have in your house. You know, all this stuff's coming from the ground generally. I mean, you can grow some of it. You know, some of it might be the sun, some might be the river, some might be the wind. But the fact of the matter is, this stuff's coming out of the ground. So you, you better you better step up and embrace just the fact that you know we're, we're still dependent as a consumer of our modern life. We're still dependent on the stuff that comes from these projects coming out of the ground. So it's it's certainly interesting. So we're we're almost done. Uh, so back to Rio two. Give us the outlook going forward to progress, community outreach, permitting going into 2019 2020. Well, um, you know, it all depends on availability of funds and money, and uh, we're going to need some more. But uh, basically what we intend to do, and we're drilling right now, is uh, we're going to come up with a revised resource estimate um, at the end of Q1 
um, of 2019. Um, the idea of that is that we believe um, there were um, the adequacy of drilling in the in the starter pit area uh, where we want to start operations was not as good as we wanted, and also we feel that there were high-grade structures in that area that weren't adequately picked up. So we're, we're busily drilling those and, and you'll start to see a flow of information on that shortly. Um, once that's finished, then we intend to do a little bit more metallurgical test work. There's been quite a lot of work done in the past. We're going to do our engineering work and we're going to try and come up with a feasibility study. Uh, the project had a pre-fees completed in 2014, so we're going to do a feasibility study which is going to have our our um, our signature on it uh, from the point of view of, of what we think we're going to be able to build at uh, at Phoenix uh, and that should be ready um, hopefully at the beginning of um, at the end of Q3 or beginning of Q4 the, uh, of next year and then once that's in place then we'll be filing and preparing the EIA for approval uh, which will go into place during 220, 221. You have the EIA and then the permitting process. So we're, we're hoping that we're going to get to a point where um, we have all our permissions in place to make a construction decision for 2022. Okay, so there's still three years of, 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 of time that uh, we, we need to go through. Now, that's what I was talking about before, you know, what we continue to do, even though, you know, we're firmly focused on this asset is we're looking at other opportunities. We continue to talk to other companies. We're continually looking at projects that belong to bigger companies that might, they may not want. Um, we, um, the good thing is we get included in processes, although being in a process is not much fun. Um, you'd rather try and come to terms with a, a company without having to go into a process. But anyway, we, we, we do get invited to processes and uh, we continue to look. Um, and because of our track record and background, you know, we do, even though things are tough, we do have um, the ability to find money for the right opportunity. Um, so um, we, we just got to keep, keep heading in that direction. And um, right. you know, but we're a junior company, so we're gonna we're gonna go through some 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 bumps. But um, it is you know it comes with the it comes with the uh, with the space. Right, absolutely. So why should investors look at Rio Two right now? And what would you say to those considering getting on board with Rio Two? Well, I think look, you know. The, the most important thing, as we discussed earlier on, it's all about backing management to create wealth, right? Not only for shareholders, but for themselves. And as you know, we've got significant skin in the game. We're not doing this because we're going to earn a nice fat salary. We're doing this because we are shareholders and significant shareholders. So really, if you become a shareholder of Rio2 at this time, you, you, you join us in our in our uh, voyage of um, of trying to build a, a, a sizable precious metals company, um, you know it's all about being in the right place at the right time. I'm, I'm convinced of that, with a little bit of luck. Uh, 
So, but for a team like ours, with the track record that we have, not only technically, but also in the capital markets, uh, capital markets from an investor perspective, capital markets from a lender perspective, uh, we've got all that. We've got all the ingredients. We've just got to find the right projects to do that. Now, Phoenix is a part of the jigsaw puzzle. It's not the, it's not the be all and end all. It will be a mine, I'm convinced of it. In fact, by hook or by crook, we're going to build a mine at Phoenix. I'm telling you that now. Um, and, um, but, you know, we, we, we're looking at other things. So join us on the journey if, if that's what you want to, to do. Um, um, we're very transparent. We're an open book from a management perspective. Anybody can come and visit me in my office if they're in Peru or they can come and call me or talk to me at any time and I'm happy to talk to them. So we're an open book. Um, and I think that's all we can do. And, and hopefully we just, because of that, we attract people to our story. Well, Alex, I think you nailed it. Um, and I think folks should really take a hard look at the company at these, at these stages and at these prices. I think it's a good place to, uh, to get started. So Alex, it's, it's been fun and we appreciate you coming on and uh, take care. Yeah, no, thanks for the time. Uh, it's been a bit, I've rambled on a bit on some, some of these points, but, um, you know, keep the faith. I think precious metals is is the place to be over the next two to three years. Um, once we have this washout that's coming happen, um, and it, who knows, it could go longer than that. Um, so, um, you know, stay the, you know, have keep the faith and um, and and um, let's all hope we we do well from an investment perspective in whatever we we we're invested in.